welcome back to the London Architect. Um, this is episode four, I think. Um, and today we have Stephen Davies with us from 3144 Architects. Welcome, Stephen. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much for asking me to join. So 31, is it 31 out of 44, 3144? 31 slash 44. Okay, is that how you say it? <laughs> no, no, 3144 or 3144 is, um, is fine with us. Okay, and there's a little backstory behind that um, name, isn't there? Yeah, so the practice uh, was founded by my business partner, Will, and at the time, um, a third partner called James. And the reason uh, for the 3144 name was that the guys at the time, and I share the same kind of opinion, we, nobody wanted to put their name above the door. Um, we kind of a studio that was inclusive and we'd all kind of worked um, at practices where you get to a point and if it isn't one of the name directors turning mm -hmm. into a project, people ask where they are. So... James, um, at the time, had been doing a little bit of work with Will and um, had moved to Amsterdam because his wife was um, from Amsterdam. And obviously we had the London studio. So the idea was to take the dialing codes for um, the Netherlands and the UK. Yeah. And 31 slash 44. Um, and yeah, since then, I joined the practice not long after. Um, mm -hmm. And um, yeah, we've been going now about 12 years, I think. Nice. So before you were at 3144, you worked for Proctor and Matthews? That's right. Yeah, I worked Proctor and Matthews Architects and so did James and Will. And that's where we all met. Okay. Um, and Proctor and Matthews are a, a design-led studio. And they're based in um, kind of around London Bridge area. And um, yeah, we all worked there at the same time. Um, and... Um, I think I worked there for about seven or eight years. Okay. And had you come straight? What were you doing before that? First job after university uh, was I was working in Manchester. Right. So I studied, I did my degree in Liverpool. Yeah. And then um, I did my diploma in Manchester. Okay. And in between doing the degree and the diploma, you do a year placement in practice. Yeah. So I'd gone over to Manchester to do that, enjoyed my year there mm -hmm. um, and thought I'd, you know, like to stay and did my diploma there rather than turning returning to, to Liverpool. Um, and then after that, I went back to the same practice that I was working for and worked for another two years. Um, kind of really enjoyed both of those cities at the time, you yeah. know, as... Uh, 97 to 2000 I think in Liverpool and then 2000 to 2005 in Manchester. So at what point was London sort of on the horizon for you? It, I suppose it wasn't until I'd worked in Manchester for a few years um, and I then got my you know um, professional qualifications and you start to think well where where are the opportunities and where are the things that you want to challenge yourself with? Mm -hmm. And that was all pointing really towards London. Okay. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of architects in this town. Yeah, indeed. Are there any sort of architectural periods of sort of like in modern history um, of a city, perhaps in Europe, that are of interest to you that you wish you could have 
<laughs> sort of, I know it's a bit of a difficult question, but from an architect's perspective... Yeah, if Will was here, he could give you a very good answer to okay. that, I'm sure. I'll get but, him on next. But I think, um, I think it's interesting because, yeah, for a number of reasons, whether it's a, a growth of a city over a small period of time that you would be part of... Yeah. Um, I mean, for me, obviously not in Europe, but New York or somewhere like that, yeah. kind of its explosion and its growth okay. is kind of very alluring and kind of like, wow, wouldn't it have been amazing to have been yeah, in town when that was all going on? And the same with cities, you know, like Venice and Paris and places like that. And, you know, it it's really interesting to kind of go and look at those mm-hmm. periods of explosion and growth and how things happened and why. I remember you um, speaking about this in our pre-meet chat about sort of the narrative, the practicality, the justification, all these different things you have to consider. Could you sort of elaborate a little bit on those um, kind of finer aspects of it? Yeah, I think as, so as, as architects and, and designers, you're looking backwards yeah. to inform what you're going to do going forwards. Of course. And it's really interesting because there are a number of things that you start to uncover and, and, and it becomes very logical mm-hmm. just through, you know, um, historic research, understanding an area through understanding a building even Mm -hmm. you know taking that building apart and thinking well why was it done the way it was and why was this neighborhood built the way it was and what happened here especially in cities through you know damage through war or kind of um, change in a a kind of a government or parliamentary direction to say well we're going to kind of rehouse people in a certain way Mm -hmm. and things big sweeps happen through our urban fabric Mm -hmm. and then you're thinking well these pockets were left and they're giving us kind of uh, glimpses or we have to piece this together and we find that fascinating and we find it a really really critical part of design Mm -hmm. Um, sort of like detective work a little yeah I suppose yeah and then going forward do you feel as if you sort of become part of that storytelling process with your designs yeah, you do. So we will take a precedent from, you know, we'll, we'll have a project and we'll have a site and we'll be working through it and we'll be looking at its immediate context. And then we'll be able to bring a precedent from something completely yeah. out of context on the face of it. Yeah. But it's because we've been led to a point that, oh, actually, now this thing here, this building here in a different part of the world or mm-hmm. a different part of the country is relevant to us you can justify it yeah you, it becomes relevant to kind of to explore it yeah i i noticed with um red church townhouse mm. uh, one of your projects you said you were particularly proud of um that it's quite an industrial build isn't it but it sits it is quite comfortable in in its surroundings and i wanted to ask is that something that you think is important personally or was that more of a planning sort of um, element. I think it's it, it's definitely important to us as a studio mm-hmm. um, and me as an architect. I think it's it's critical. Um, I think what you do when you take a project, so taking the townhouse, that's split into two phases. So it's a project that's in an area of London called Shoreditch, and it's on Redshaw Street. Um, and the first phase was a small, like nineteen sixties, I think, industrial building. Yeah, that was a coffee roastery uh, building, and um, our client 
bought the building with the intention to redevelop it. Um, but before it was its 1960s uh, version of itself, before that, it was a row of houses. Mm -hmm. And I think from memory, they would have been weavers' cottages, because um, a lot of weavers' cottages around that neck of the woods. And so if you imagine, they're kind of those kind of thin, tall houses, maybe with a, a room at the top for working in where okay. the light would be coming in. And they were demolished possibly through bomb damage during the war or clearance. Um, and the little industrial building was built in its place. So when we took the project on, we're kind of looking at it thinking, well, th obviously the, the, the history of this area is, is, is rich and mm -hmm. there are a lot of things going on. You've got the Georgian buildings looking down one street with their flat facades and then you turn the corner and you've got the Victorian buildings mm -hmm. uh, on the other street. So it's kind of, there's lots of opportunity to start developing answers to questions mm -hmm. in the design. Um, and that's for us, that's our starting point. And then we start to look at a design, um, look at iterations of that. Mm -hmm. And then the point that you may raised about, well, is it responding to the planning department or the kind of you know the process of getting planning? It kind of goes hand in hand because you develop your narrative and you develop your information that when you then present that at a meeting uh, to the local authority, mm -hmm. you've got strong justification for the proposal that you're putting forward. So for us, it's it's always rewarding when you get into that position where there's full conviction on what what what's happening with a project yeah would you say that your work kind of ever you're speaking a lot about the different um period houses um when when you first start doing these projects and what you're taking into consideration does your work ever sort of follow you outside of working hours and i mean I don't know if you watch any particular um, like I don't know documentaries on like the BBC or you any sort of fictional like series and do you ever notice that or does it kind of feed into that um, brainstorming process? I think um, it never sadly well good and bad but being an architect or being a designer mm -hmm. you never switch off yeah it's twenty four seven and that's not a criticism that's just a state of mind uh, because. You're always looking at things mm -hmm. and always thinking about things and trying to understand them. As a as a as a designer and someone practicing architecture, I've since kind of come to realize that I'm a, a kind of kinesthetic mm -hmm. learner. And so actually doing is what I enjoy mm -hmm. and where the learning happens. Mm -hmm. Um it's funny that you mentioned um, sort of the doing side of it because I remember you uh, saying before about how you've been involved in some sort of like three D modelling with your like teaching. Is it within your practice where you where you get like cardboard and and that it's refreshing to kind of go back to the basics yeah. almost. Yeah, no, that's so yeah, but just model making, just mm. physical model making, um, and it's a big part of the studio. We wish we could do it more, but it's it's time consuming, and therefore you have to weigh that up against um, 
uh, money, sadly, and fees, and yeah. how much commitment you can give to doing that sort of uh, research and development on a project. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have different computer packages now, and, and, and people will hear about things like BIM and yeah. Revit and these other kind of ways in which we can start to understand things three-dimensionally in a computer package. But a physical model mm-hmm. is is it's so valuable in the design process. Mm. I think I was quite lucky in my education that when I went to university, um, I, everything was drawn by hand. Yeah. And through doing a degree, everything was drawn drawn on a drawing board. Mm-hmm. And you had these big sheets of this really kind of thick tracing paper and you drew with pens or you kind of experimented with other kind of ways of, producing an image Mm -hmm. maybe it was a photo collage and you know we had film on cameras and you had to go and get it developed and it was like got 36 pictures here and I hope I got five good ones out of this (laughs) otherwise that's another five quid and another day I'm gonna have to sort this out for and and that was the first part and then I worked and it was CAD computer-aided design was starting on computers Mm -hmm. and you went into practice and you were taught how to use that and I was given a fairly strict um, education in kind of line weights and and, and drawing and text but it was all the same principles as Mm -hmm. what you'd have done if you're doing it by hand yeah and then coming through my education obviously computers the speed of technology was happening faster and faster I remember you mentioning before about sort of trying to maintain the ethos of a build and I think you use like an analogy of a car maybe it was um how difficult is it to kind of channel your ideas about the ethos of a build through those different stages whether it be uh, using technology or we design through an iterative process mm-hmm. we kind of think about something get a strategy together develop that early stage mm-hmm. and then kind of want to kind of go step by step to test and then come back and test again but we're not we you know we're not producing 40 options mm-hmm. and we're not working till 6 in the morning working on 40 options to then just show the, you that we've done yeah. lots of work so it doesn't make sense no because i think that's when i gave the example of say a car and some cars have been refined and refined and refined through decades and decades. And, you know, a Porsche 911 is a good example. It continues to be refined. Mm -hmm. Technology is attaching itself to that design because things are changing through safety measures and so on Mm -hmm. and fuel consumption and different things. I don't drive, by the way, so I have no idea about (laughs) how cars work. But as a a piece of design, that's fascinating. And looking at it as an architect and just looking at it in that terminology... For us, that's a kind of an, a good precedent, a good influence. Um, um, other people might choose to do something radical every time. Mm-hmm. They say, well, we did this and we've we've done that now, so we don't want to do it again. Mm-hmm. We're going to go off and do this and turn the page completely. Yeah. Do you find that sort of compliance issues kind of get in the way of design? Yeah, no. Is it? I, <laughs> I don't think they do. I don't think compliance gets in the way of design. I think design is we solve problems. Okay. You know, that's what we're doing. That's we're solving problems. Yeah. And certain things that were not a problem yesterday in our environment, our built environment, are a problem today. Mm-hmm. And we need to solve those problems for tomorrow. How many people do you have um, at 3144? Yeah, so our studio, is, there's eight of us in the team. 
Okay. Um, and so it's in the world of architecture, that's a, a kind of a larger small office. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have 20 people in practice, that's considered a medium-sized office. Okay. Um, Is it like the Goldilocks of, of practices? <laughs> it's interesting. Size of business mm-hmm. and size of studio compared to the work and the freedom that you have to do what you want to do. As part of my architectural education, there was very, very little to do with running a business. Mm-hmm. as very little to do with anything other than the design of architecture um so then to to be running a business and running a practice you have to learn a lot quite quickly mm-hmm. and what you have to do is understand what you're good at and what you're not very good at and then you work as a team yeah and i think it's i find it fascinating to read about other practices other businesses and how they've grown mm-hmm. or how they've chosen to stay small because Mm -hmm. maybe that's the perfect size so i think it's always a kind of matter of well sooner or later you start to find what works for you Mm -hmm. as a practicing architect or designer some people want to stay very Mm hands-on um and therefore the studio is always going to stay quite small and then some people are you know wanting to grow a studio and you know be able to have a bigger reach and reach those larger kind of projects, I suppose. It's interesting. I don't know the answer to where the sweet spot is or where the, where the magic is and, the, and, the, and so on. I guess ultimately it comes down to you as a person. Some people prefer to kind of work more independently and others feel like they thrive in more of a social environment. Yeah, yeah. I think for me, being part of a team is, is mm. absolutely critical. You, you can't... I don't know how you gather the traction to make anything happen mm-hmm. if you're on on your own. It, it, and, and the wider team. So in our studio with eight of us, we're working on projects. So Will and I are always involved in all the projects. Mm-hmm. And then people in the studio are running projects. So we kind of come in and work with them and kind of start projects up. And so it's it's fluid. Mm-hmm. Going back to what you said earlier, whereby, you know, do you do you what happens when you're not in the office or in the studio and it's like it's still architecture you're still yeah. thinking about architecture <laughs> go away on holiday and still end up in it's a just building. part of you yeah yeah yeah, yeah. luckily i have a very you can't honest... escape it yeah yeah well laura my wife is also very passionate about design and um uh and so it, it's 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 lucky lucky for us that yeah we tend to end up in museums or industrial estates in certain parts of Europe to seek out new and interesting things that we may have heard about so but I think that's kind of again you're inquisitive. It's great that you and Laura can sort of bounce ideas off each other. Yeah we've we've undertaken a self-build project before which was kind of Brilliant. Was that number 49? Yeah, yeah. So I that wanted to was, ask about that. So that was a self-build project that we did um, about seven or eight years ago, maybe a little longer now. And, um, yeah, it was kind of, again, really interesting process to, to have. So Laura studied a degree in architecture, but then did a master's in uh, art history. Mm-hmm. So she's moved away from the field of architecture, but is very much interested in design. And, and works for um, a, a global company now, but in um, education and their learning team. Um, 
but is incredibly passionate about design um, and um, kind of going through that process of designing the house um, and then obviously building the house. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting, again, going back to the skill sets that you have and who does what. And communication is everything. As soon as you can get that message across and as soon as you can then visualise it, you're kind of making, you know, there's momentum. And that house won an RIBA award. It did, yeah, it did. It was awarded um, a few, yeah, it did. Got, uh, it was awarded an RIBA regional award, a national award, London Small Projects Award. Is that the only project that you and Laura have worked on together? Well, that was our that so that was our self build project, our own our own home. Um, right. We're currently in the process of undertaking this uh, crazy madness of a self build project uh, again. Stephen, I could go on and keep asking you loads of questions, but we're running out of time, and I have to ask you um, a question that our last guest has suggested Mm. um and that is do you envisage a time in the future where architects become near obsolete it's pretty um (laughs) depressing no Um, no and do you think that in any way the industry would need to future-proof itself um well that's a it's a big question yeah I, i think i think that history will tell us that the future architect will be different to yesterday's architect. Mm-hmm. And, you know, previously the role of the architect included a number of other mm-hmm. areas. And now the role of the architect has changed from what it was 20 years ago, what it was 40 years ago. Yeah. The idea of the architect as the master builder, by definition, is kind of... Uh, changing because we have more people involved in a team now Mm -hmm. so we have a construction team and so our role is going to change Um, there's no way it would become obsolete Um, you have your specialist areas and those areas will become more and more specialist Mm -hmm. but we'll still need the glue to stick it all together like the communication like you said exactly And, and and if if you kind of you know to say we're kind of, kind of head of the orchestra or something um, is probably quite grand. But I think that's what it is. We're, so, no, we'll still be hanging around, I think. Yeah. Chat GPT won't be doing any designs <laughs> for a while. <laughs> Great. Well, this has been excellent. Thank you so much, Stephen, for joining us. Um, we've spoken about a lot. I've really enjoyed the sort of philosophical design philosophy side of it. Um I hope you've enjoyed joining us. That was, it was uh, very, very good to yeah, kind of stop for a minute and have a, have a chat about what's going on in the world of architecture. Yeah. So thank you very much. Definitely. Well, and thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in. Please leave um, any comments with positive or negative feedback. We welcome it all. Um, and we'll see you on next week's episode of The London Architect. Bye.